welcome to the Health Tech Podcast. Here we talk about everything healthcare and technology, and I'm your host, James Somaru. Hello, Caitlin. Welcome to the Health Tech Podcast. How are you doing on this very cold morning? Yet yeah, sunny morning. Yeah, I'm well, James. Thanks for so much for having me on. You're very welcome. You're very welcome. Whereabouts are you speaking to us from today, Caitlin? I'm in London. Based in uh, Southwest, looking out the window to a gorgeous yet, as you mentioned, frigid day. But I'm Canadian, <laughs> so I actually thrive in the cold. I remember oh, I've been to Canada and minus 30, I think it was, when I stepped outside. And uh, yeah, when I stepped outside the plane, obviously when you've gone on a long plane journey, you've got a bit of perspiration going and, mm-hmm. you know, uh, stepped outside and my jeans froze. And that was the most unpleasant uh, experience. <laughs> Just very disconcerting having temperatures that I've literally never felt in my entire life. Yeah, I can imagine and sympathize. Yeah, I used to uh, live downtown Toronto and walk to work. So it was like a quick 15, 20 minute walk. And in the winter, you, you like, yeah, you just walk to work. I would be walking. You get your big, thick park on and you'd make the 20 minute journey in minus 20. Might get a little bit of frost, right? But that's uh, par for the course. But yeah, it's uh, <laughs> the the it was like a meme that was going back, uh, going around back in the day. It was just like, why do I live in a place where the air hurts my face? And I sympathized <laughs> with that. Yes, I, I can also sympathise having been there. Uh, however, beautiful country. Yeah, to, uh, Niagara on the lake I went to. It's all very nice. Yeah, all very nice, all very pleasant. Anyway, we digress. Yeah, obviously, great to have you on. Uh, you are doing some cool stuff with Mindspan. MEG technology, scanning, yeah. understanding brain health for people. Uh, yeah, loads of really cool, interesting mm-hmm. stuff. And you know, it's rare that we get to speak about like a relatively new technology on this podcast. And so I'm definitely looking forward to um, getting into that a little bit and where MEG fits with EEG and all these other things that that clinicians might be a bit more aware of than MEG. But before we go into Mindspan Mm -hmm. and all that stuff with cool brain tech, uh, yeah, tell me a bit about yourself. Tell us a bit about your story. Yeah. Yeah, because it's not the the traditional pathway. I always like to start these things by saying, like, I'm not a neuroscientist. I'm not a doctor. I actually came into this from the finance and investment world. Um, so, yeah, my background, like I was uh, I did an MBA. I was in the wealth management world, uh, ended up going into the investment world, was living downtown Toronto, working for um, a fund there. Uh, but always really loved health tech and biosciences, life sciences. And I always just kind of ended up finding my way into looking at uh, health tech equity. And just you would kind of research these companies doing incredibly cool things that can actually change lives. Uh, And I would do a deep dive on the due diligence and kind of fall in love with these really game-changing technologies And then you would write this very nice report about whether you recommend it or kind of, yeah, just an overview of the company. And then you get so invested. And then at the end, you just you write that report. And that was kind of the end of the journey with the exciting technology. So I always really had an affinity for this space. And when I was actually in Toronto um, working kind of like my day job in the investments and funds through my own network, because 
I have family who are in the um, kind of the imaging world. So I'd always been quite interested in just MRI and technological innovations that were happening on the imaging side of things. Um, But yeah, I ended up kind of through my own network looking at a company that makes MEG or magnetoencephalography technology, which is a mouthful. So everyone just says MEG or MEG, which was this incredibly niche technology that I had never heard of before. So I kind of ended up doing due diligence on the acquisition of a company that makes this technology and really ended up going through this like journey of researching about 30 years of history of this technology and its various iterations and what it's been used for in research. So while it's interesting because a lot of people are now becoming aware of this technology, it's kind of considered this new cutting edge technology, but it has been around in various um, forms for about 30 years and used in really elite universities to study the brain. Um, And so to your point about like how it compares with um, EEG, for instance, it's one of the kind of technologies that it's most commonly compared to, but MEG maps brain activity with millisecond and millimeter accuracy. So it creates these really rich kind of um, maps of brain activity specific to an individual. Um, And so, yeah, I I kind of fell in love with the technology and the research um, that's been done with it. And so I uh, ended up working on the acquisition side of this manufacturer, NEG Technology, and uh, Yana Hutala, who's now actually my co-founder in in Megat or in uh, Mindspan, uh, he was on the sell side of this acquisition of this company called Megan. And so together, I ended up really loving the company that was manufacturing this technology. So I joined it after the acquisition. I ended up leaving Toronto, leaving the investment and finance world and joining the company with the goal to really increase the utility and the presence of this technology. And so, um, yeah, Yana, who is on the sell side of that acquisition, we worked together for about a year, year and a half within that company where we really just uh, ended up talking about the potential for this technology and kind of the data of this technology. And we uh, ended up leaving to establish Mindspan with the goal to really focus actually less on the kind of medical device side and looking at this technology through the lens of what the data or the impact this data can have on actual individuals and how it can change their lives. Because the thing that really kind of like made me fall in love with this mission is just the fact that we really don't know anything about how the brain works. So people go for these annual health assessments where they do their um, cardio testing and their blood tests and all of these things. And they even wear wearables, like I've got an aura ring on right now, or whether it's whoop or something like that, where you track your, your steps and your heart rate and your HRV. And we have all of this data kind of about how our body is functioning. But the thing that just blew me away was that we don't have any objective metrics about how the brain is functioning. Um, And so yeah, we really decided to look at the potential for this technology, incorporating it with like cognitive function testing and some other meta metadata to give people insights as to how their brain is objectively functioning with really easy to understand um, 
data because I like I I always look at this through the lens of a consumer. I want access to this technology as someone who's interested and in how their body is functioning and all of this data and wearables. So how to basically leverage this technology that sits in incredibly elite universities and hospitals uh, for consumers to use. Nice. Heck of a story that. And I think the first thing that I I just want to highlight in, in your story, in your journey, is that there's no one way into health tech entrepreneurship, is there? There, there just isn't. There's um, You obviously come from finance and, you know, relatively... You know, high level of finance they're talking about you know acquisitions and almost like a private equity level investment banking level of finance and mm-hmm. buy sides and sell sides then coming together to form a company in a brand new technology it's not your typical founder story of we met in the pub or we met in y combinator or introduced by a friend or any of those different things but I think people's journeys can be incredibly different you know I've been to a few events over the last couple of weeks with Malta and the Google event we had and Giant and a lot of people, you know, coming up to me asking about why they think I know, I don't know, but uh, maybe because I've spoken to enough people, but asking me about where to find co-founders or how to get into mm-hmm. health tech or, or anything. And I think there is no single route. There is no one thing to do. And I think it is a case of following your interests. And like you were saying, you know, when you were looking at these deals, you were excited by the healthcare, the life sciences, and you then yeah. chose to spend your time doing that stuff. And you're looking more into that stuff. You asked more questions. You probably became a lot more interested and a lot more interesting to buy side and sell side and each other, you know? And mm-hmm. so forming a company seems like a good idea after that, I'm sure. So that's the first thing that I wanted to pull out, really. Um, yeah. I don't know if you had any reflections on that. I mean, has has healthcare entre- health tech entrepreneurship always been on the radar? Is it always something you wanted to do? Like, not at all. Yeah. How, how did how did that actually happen? Yeah, it's it's a good question, and I think you're absolutely right. There is no like, there's no prescribed pathway to go down. And I think when it comes to uh, start, like, I've always been interested in healthcare, so I just found myself naturally in my spare time talking to people about it and um, participating in events about that and going into like um, equity events that specifically looked at uh, healthcare. So, and I never actually envisioned myself as an entrepreneur necessarily. Like I was interested in it, but didn't think that I would necessarily leave the investment pathway to really jump with both feet into it. Uh, it just sort of happened. And I think the key thing is the more that you're interested in something, the more passionate you get about it, the more you learn about it. And these pathways tend to just reveal themselves. Um, and I don't think that if I wasn't as passionate about this technology specifically, I would have ended up coming down this pathway. Uh, it definitely pulled me down the pathway rather than me like actively trying to find it, which I think is probably, I mean, we've been around for two and a half years now. And I think that is uh, largely because we're so passionate about this space. I don't think that we would be as successful to this point had it not been for the fact that really it is this mission that like spoke to me and made me want to make, make the leap and the people that I'm working with as well. I mean, when you, there's no feeling like finding someone who's equally passionate about this area and the potential. Um, and then when you start brainstorming and 
really start strategizing and realizing that you do have a voice to lend to the area. Because I think especially health tech is an incredibly intimidating industry to really start getting involved with. And I have no background in it. So I was very intimidated trying to um, navigate this pathway. But when you were passionate about it and willing to learn about it and start surrounding yourself with people who are just as passionate about brain health, about the technology, about the physics of the technology, uh, it makes that pathway all the much more easier. I think it's really important. Two things, actually, that are just really important there that I just want to highlight. Being pulled into a specific interest rather than going out looking for it mm-hmm. is incredibly important. That's what gave you the energy to go deep into this one technology because it didn't feel like work to you because you were super interested in it. You allowed your interest to take over there, which gave you the ability to do all that work, essentially to learn about the background of it and get involved in those deals. So that's something that came up in the last few days for me when I've been speaking to these people about how do I get involved in health tech? It's like, well, just wanting to leave medicine is not really enough Like for the clinicians. you know, It's like, what are you actually being pulled into? Because you, that's who you're going to be competing against for these jobs and for these opportunities is the people that for whom it's a passion you know and so that you know the passion for what you're talking about really comes out there the other thing there is the humility to learn as well i think that's something else that came up in the last few days of uh people wanting to move into health tech from whatever background they've come in and i guess wanting to use the experience that they've got of course but perhaps not acknowledging so much that there's there is a heck of a learning journey to do even within health tech itself and i think a lot of what you've talked about in your background there and, and particularly that humility to learn whilst you're in, incredibly, incredibly, incredibly important. I think more than ever now, there's people coming into health tech from a clinical background, from scientific backgrounds, from you know data science and computer science backgrounds. And I think there's a there's a whole nother journey to go on once you're in, you know, to learn the other sides of that stuff. And so, yeah, it sounds like you got your head straight when you came in, definitely, Caitlin. And I'm not surprised that Mindspan's gone on to do the stuff. But um I want to talk to you about MEG technology before we go on to before we go on to Mindspan specifically, because you mentioned thirty years of this technology. I think for for many of us in the space, you know, MEG might not be something we've even heard of, let alone understood that there's thirty years of it prior to this, and and perhaps people think it's new and is it clinical and is it all of these questions, right? Um, so, do you want to just give? us me the listeners just a a little view of of meg technology what it is and a bit of that stuff yeah meg technology so to preface this again i'm not the expert what i have learned about technology or meg has been within the last five years and i always try to learn about it through the lens of the consumer because ultimately that's what i am when it comes to this technology and Mindspan, we're creating a product um, for the consumer. So what MEG technology does is measure the magnetic signature of the neurons firing as they communicate in your brain. Uh, It is basically, it does this with millisecond and millimeter accuracy. So it creates these incredibly rich brain maps, these brain activity maps that are unique to an individual. Uh, It is most similar to EEG, which a lot of people are familiar with. EEG measures the electrical signal generated by the neurons in your brain. Uh, But what is different with MEG is it measures the magnetic signature of that um, basically electric signature. And so 
what it can do is identify where that signal is coming from in your brain to the millimeter. Whereas EEG, because it's the electrical signal, it bounces around by your skin, um, by your skull, all of these things. So you can't really identify to the millimeter where it's coming from. EEG also requires these electrodes placed on your scalp with gel. Um, whereas MEG, really, it is just this big chair with a little helmet and you put your head in this helmet, you don't need the gel, you don't need to change your clothes, you simply need to sit in this chair with your head in this bucket and it measures uh, the brain activity with millisecond and millimeter accuracy. Yeah, really interesting. And when you talk about how the brain's objectively functioning, right? That's a huge kind of, um, well, it's a big statement. Yeah, how the brain's objectively functioning, and I think it's a tall task. It is a tall, it is a tall task. Yeah, that's where I'm. That's where I'm getting at. So, when you talk about function in that regard, and I, I take your point about the specificity of the where and and that kind of thing as well. But when you talk about function and you talk about how this technology can be used to determine function, because I imagine on its own it might not be able to. What what are we really talking about there when? about objective brain function? Yeah, so today when you ask someone about their brain and mental health, you tend to get a subjective account of how someone feels. And so that relies on an individual describing that accurately and that description is going to vary person by person. And or you use these tasks of cognitive function which me measure things like uh, short-term working memory, visuospatial skills, these kind of things. But ultimately, all of that is the actual output of the brain activity that's taking place. So we are very limited in our ability to assess the brain kind of upstream from the output of the function. Uh, and so that is what, that is the tall task. We're trying to measure this organ that is kind of squirreled away behind something we cannot see behind kind of our skulls that is really just this almost an abstract organ. And so we are objectively putting data and metrics around that. We are measuring kind of the brain waves, we're measuring the connectivity, the amount of activity in these main neural networks that these brains have. And we are trying to convey this it's really difficult to contextualize this data um, and what it means but we're trying to make that data accessible and understandable to an individual just as they would try to understand their their heart rates and you've got a resting heart rate and you've got your hrv and so we're trying to apply that level of um, objectivity and description to the brain and how it's functioning awesome so that begs the question then, what are the types of things that this is measuring? What's the, what's the scale? What's the metric? What are you actually, who's it useful for? And then what's it useful for? You mentioned sort of baselines there. So for, like you talk about resting heart rate. So you know that a resting heart rate of below whatever is good, and then it's going to rise up to blah when you're exercising, then you've got an appreciation for all of that stuff. Are you trying to through, I say you, like is MEG technology, and obviously with Mindspan what you're doing, but um, is that what MEG is trying to do then, provide this kind of overall functional level like a resting heart rate and say, okay, that's your baseline. And then 
when things happen, it, 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 it can move. Is that is that what's essentially happening here? Yeah. So I'll give you a bit of an overview as to like the actual service that MindSpan is providing. So effectively, someone would come into one of our scanning locations and what we do is we have um, we get them to do about 20 minutes on an iPad app. So we ask some information about age, biological sex, any medications, um, previous diagnoses, things that really we know to change the um, kind of the presence of that brain activity uh, and the signature of it. And then they complete uh, some cognitive tasks, gamified cognitive tasks, so we like to think that it's fun, that test kind of the output of this brain activity in terms of short-term memory, visuospatial skills, um, that and attention, that kind of thing. And then they sit for a completely passive 10-minute resting state MEG scan. Again, no EEG gel, you don't have to change clothes, you just sit there, try to stay away from your thoughts for 10 minutes, and then they leave. And that whole process takes about 45 to 50 minutes. And then within 24 hours, they have a report in their inbox that outlines their brain power, their connectivity in the various networks, as well as their cognitive function. And so that baseline report is specific to that individual. You mentioned kind of our aim with these baselines is to also educate everyone that your brain activity and your brain connectivity and how your brain is functioning is completely unique to the individual. So we like to call it almost like the QR code. Everyone's got a very unique QR code or a fingerprint. It's very specific to them. So people tend to want to almost like an HRV or a resting heart rate, try to compare themselves to um, kind of the normative data sets or the norm, or the average individual, whereas the brain is so unique that that is really not insightful in and of itself. So what we tell people is the value of getting a baseline is you have an objective measure of your brain fingerprint and how it's functioning. And the true value of this technology is then able to track that over time. Uh, we have like a brain stability index. And so we can start to track what is a normal variation of brain activity specific to an individual. And we can identify when that brain activity is outside the norm for that individual, which might be one of those, we like to call it almost the early kind of red flag system. Something has changed. It is not within your normal variation of brain activity. And this is something that maybe you should look into, whether it's um, even a positive change or a negative change. We try to stay away from kind of those types of connotations. It's just a change. And that's something that people can look into because we do know there's about 30 years of research with this technology that an individual's brain activity will change far before they start to have symptoms of something like, for instance, dementia. Because really, we are no longer we're trying to move upstream from measuring the output of that brain activity and start to measure that brain activity that produces that function. And so our goal with MindSpan is to identify when that start when that change starts to happen as early as possible because we know that before someone starts to have symptoms of something that really that is the optimal like pharmacological and therapeutic window to really start to um, address these issues upstream before they become a problem.
Yeah, so I was, I was going to ask actually, is, is this more for pathology or is this more for optimizing? But it sounds like there are instances where it can be used for both. And so that does beg the question for me, who's it for? And I think I'm sure you're not saying that, you know, if you've got concerns about any pathology, you should do anything else except seek medical help. But um, for those that are looking to either optimize or are there certain things that this can be used for? I mean, what, what's your, what's the typical, typical user for this technology? And then we can talk about where Mindspan fits in. Yeah. So we like to say it's, it's useful for anyone with a brain because ultimately anyone like would value or anyone would benefit from understanding their normal variation of brain activity and um, just to know kind of what the signature is for them specifically so they can track that over time just as you would your weight but yeah so in terms it for pathology versus optimization it's both um, one of the kind of early adoption or one of the pathologies that's investigated a lot with this technology is concussion uh, because MEG can identify when um, brain and function brain function has changed meaningfully from its baseline. Um, and it has been looked a lot at concussion and looking at immediately post-injury and the recovery of that. Um, but one of the kind of use cases is athletes in contact sports. And we talk about optimizing for them because we're not trying to, as you mentioned, we are not giving clinical guidance. We are um, not trying to give anyone medical advice. We're purely trying to give people information about their body that we believe they should have. Uh, when it comes to concussion, we've had athletes come to us before for baselines to start to understand their normal variation of brain activity. We've had individuals who have been concussed um, and they start to monitor that recovery and see that return to kind of your your normal variation of brain activity. And that really becomes an optimization um, use case because we are trying, we're never trying to stop someone from playing if they've been injured. That's not within our realm. We just want to give individuals the information about how their brain is functioning during that injury. Um, but a lot of athletes we do know are going back to play based on subjective symptom assessments rather than objective data, like the reaction speed um, and cognitive assessments, which again are the output of this brain activity. Um, but then we do know that symptoms can get triggered as soon as they start to go back into play. Um, and we really want to make sure that these athletes are recovered um, that they are comfortable with the data that they're getting before they go back to play. Um, but also when it comes to the optimization, that way they can also feel safe knowing that they've gone back to play when they are closer to that normal variation of brain activity. And that way their stats aren't going to tank. They're going to be back at the peak of their game rather than having to still contend with this injury while they're playing. Yeah, it's funny that about athletes and recovery obviously marginal gains being so important for professional athletes and i suppose any measure of uh what they're actually recovering from and, and tracking that recovery is going to be useful particularly where that is around things that are well before this or, or, or generally considered pretty unmeasurable like the recovery from a concussion it's 
it's quite murky that it's as you say things like reaction time can suffer and you wouldn't know i'm sure all of us after a, a couple of beers etc think our reaction time's exactly the same when in fact you know someone looking on would say absolutely not and so there's our own perception versus the reality and this perhaps might edge might edge that gap um we will talk about my one one further thing i think just to play devil's advocate for the listeners here is how valid is that so in that recovery um obviously people might just think oh someone's whipped up a new technology here and they might done a you know odd bit of uh, research on it but I'm assuming the way that you're talking that there's a, a, a raft of scientific evidence behind this. There must be, surely. Yes. Yeah. I mean, there's about 30 years of history of this technology studying certain pathologies like concussion, like autism, dementia, um, schizophrenia, Parkinson's, because really, yeah, and, and it's vast. And it's um, one of the things that we're looking to do is to... We recognize that we're still in the infancy of understanding exactly how the brain works. So we are very honest about the fact that we don't know yet what a typical concussion recovery looks like, for instance. And so this is why we are simply providing people with this information about their brain activity and how it's changing over time. The goal is to start to gather more data to start to really understand these pathologies and these states of health and disease. Um, and it's going to require a lot more work and research. But at the outset, I mean, we did have this debate when we started about whether we go down the clinical trial pathway at the outset and try to kind of get um, medical clinical adoption at the outset. And we decided ultimately that there's so much research and history with this data that, and we do know that it is it is valid brain activity data. And we don't think that we should spend 10 years and millions and millions and millions of dollars trying to go down the clinical pathway route when we think people deserve to have this information at the outset. Um, and the value of that data of someone knowing their baseline brain function actually grows over time because we only start to learn more about it the more time passes and the more research we do. And this data set like retroactively becomes far more uh, valuable. So begs the question then, Mindspan. You're obviously a fan of this technology, the uh, the passions coming through, the the feeling and the desire to put this measurement in the hands of as many people as possible to get that view of this baseline brain function and for things like concussion and, and any deviation from that baseline at all, actually, to be fair. Um, but yeah, how do you then how do you then take this technology and, and have an idea to build a company around it? What does that look like? Yeah, a lot of brainstorming sessions, a lot of, um, yeah, kind of going to the drawing board and ultimately... I was in the manufacturer. Uh, we see this technology kind of installed globally. It's clinically used for pre-surgical map mapping and epilepsy, um, focal point identification, but then also as discussed in 30 years of research uh, to look at the various states of health and disease. Um, 
But ultimately, I came to looking at this with I want this information about my brain. I want to be able to map this, um, my brain health over time. And so that conversation with my co-founder, Yana Hutala, um, he's got 15 years of um, kind of a history in medical devices and manufacturing. And so it was over a lot of lunches and drinks about how exactly we pull what this niche technology out of its existing um, comfort zone, I guess, for lack of a better word, uh, to be usable by individuals. And there was a couple of hurdles that had to be overcome. Uh, we had to look at the data and how to automate the anal analysis of that data because uh, you, basically this data comes out and you have to be a neurophysicist to really understand it. Um, and so not only did we have to uh, process it and analyze it, but we would also then have to look at it through the lens of a consumer to figure out how to present it in a way with kind of in a context that makes sense for the individual. And ultimately, when we started Mindspan, we actually, I wouldn't even say, had a clear idea of exactly how to do that just yet. It was starting with kind of the nugget of the idea that we wanted this to be accessible and understandable to individuals in a service that any individual could have access to. Um, and it grew over the last two and a half years. I think originally it did start as uh, more of a well, I, I would say our ambitions only grew over the last two and a half years. The more we talked to people and consumers about what we were doing, the more um, and it started kind of more in the medical devices and clinical world. And everyone was excited about the opportunity, but it was talking to family and friends as we were starting to do the fundraising process for Mindspan that they wanted access to this technology in the reports. And so really, I think one of the things that has been really helpful for us is we haven't, even though we had this idea of making it more accessible and a service directly to the consumer, it has, we weren't kind of pigeonholing it into that. And we weren't really stuck on that idea and that vision that we had at the outset, because it is such a, a niche area and it has um, so many vast implications. Um, we took a lot of feedback and guidance from the industry, from the consumer, even from investors um, about what is the best path to market and how to really um, make sure that this technology is accessible to any individual to have access to information about how their brain is functioning. And so, yeah, it's been kind of a big, big feedback journey as well over the last two and a half years to really fine tune our product and our service. So you're really bridging that gap then between the the technical information that, you know, an MEG scan is going to give you, and then you're essentially contextualizing that for the individual to make that accessible, to make that useful, if I've got that correct. Yep. Yep. Absolutely. Nailed it on the head. And yeah, sometimes individuals, I'm as I'm having these conversations, ask like, okay, well, what is the use for me as an individual for understanding my baseline brain function? And we really do say that effectively there's four use cases. And in the in first instance, it is valuable information just to have 
uh, to understand your personal baseline. In the instance, God forbid something were to happen, say you had a hit to the head, say you have a concussion, then you objectively know the difference in brain activity between your normal healthy baseline and the event, whether that is for your doctor's input, whether that is for medical legal cases, um, it is really just very important information to have. Two, going back to that optimization case where you can really also start to, if for instance, we had one early user who wanted to come in and really refine their lifestyle. Um, they were on a health kick journey. They wanted to eat well, start exercising and really get fit to start feeling physically well. And so to come in and as well see the impact that that type of journey is having on your actual brain activity is valuable in and of itself. We do know that there are markers for things like neuroinflammation um, and that kind of thing. And we have like functional brain age metrics where you can start to really track the impact that these lifestyle metrics will have on your actual brain activity. But then three, I mean, once you start to kind of acquire this information, you can see how it's changing over time um, and what kind of pathway that you're on. But also, finally, you're able to then basically, in I mean, this is a little future looking, but eventually we are going to have the power based on the fact that we have these longitudinal assessments to start to give predictive metrics about which pathway people are on for therapeutic input um, and basically look start to look at, say, if you have had a hit to the head for concussion, what are the recovery metrics like? What are what pathway are you on based on the amount of variation on healthy, normal brain activity versus um, the injury that you may have sustained? So, yeah, it's I know it at the outset, it can seem difficult to wrap your head around the value to an individual for just a baseline because a lot of people ask, OK, so now what? But the value of that really only grows over time. Yeah. And it's and it's whilst there's 30 years of it, it's a relatively new technology. And at the start of any journey of any new technology, there's going to be this moment of, well, we haven't needed it to this point. So what's the value going to be? And there has to be that that learning right like there has there has to be the calibration of what do, what does this mean and and what what is this associated with and it sounds like that's the region that you're playing in and and with the proliferation of the data with more scans that are being done more correlations will show themselves and more ability to use that information and make it very practical will i assume show themselves um the business model behind this is this a case of, I mean, is it selling scans? Is it selling the bit that you're bolting on? Is it, how did, because obviously with a, with a B2C model seemingly, or with this model of like accessibility, right? It's important to get accessibility to all. There's various ways to sell that. You're selling either to the individual, you can sell to uh, businesses that then sell it to an individual, you can sell it to businesses, then give it to individuals. There's loads of different ways, there's loads of different ways to do it. Um, how are you thinking about, because again, for rightly or wrongly, I say this a lot, rightly or wrongly capitalism, we need to build a business to create impact for something new. We, we need to give this to people who want to experience value before anyone else in order to generate evidence and all these different things. And so 
it's not as if we can just decide this is useful and it's amazing and then you give it away for free on a public health system. It just doesn't work that way, unfortunately. Um, but obviously you, you're trying to create that impact. We're trying to create um, a market for it. And so there must be a market of interested people currently. So how does this function as a business? Um, talk to me about that. Yeah, so we are still in our, I'd like to say we're still in our beta phase. So we are actually offering these scans and these reports for free at our partner site in Birmingham, UK and uh, in Toronto, Canada at the moment. So anyone can go to our website and register for a free assessment. Uh, we have limited scanning ability at the moment, um, but we are doing that for free as we also get feedback from the consumer about what works for our reports and our processes, et cetera. Um, but yeah, ultimately it will be a, a fee per report service um, and for the actual assessment. So we are aiming for the individuals to be in the realm of hundreds of pounds as opposed to thousands, which a lot of imaging modalities are. Um, we don't, I'd like to make clear, we definitely don't sell individuals data. That's not the type of uh, business plan that this is. Um, we... But at the same time, we also have this like anonymized the data to truly start to understand the biomarkers of health and disease. But we don't. Um, yeah. So it, it is a fee per scan per report. Um, and then we start to look at the data to really also figure out what metrics and markers we can offer consumers down the road. And dare I say it, discover some digital biomarkers. Can I say that? Yeah, you said it. I'll nod. <laughs> uh, and perhaps that's where the later business model hangs. I don't know. Although I tell you what, though, as I say, it's a new technology and it's a new, I say new, it's 30 years at least old. It's not a new technology. However, it's clearly coming to the fore of late. And we are in a world where digital biomarkers have value. And if you are getting more and more scans from these people, digital biomarkers, as I called them correlations before, but it's the same thing. These things that you might notice that given enough data and yeah, anonymized and safe and secure, all those things that we just assume that frankly data is now. I'm not going to ask you whether your data is secure. I'm assuming that it is or else you're not going to get any kind of CE marks or anything. So um, the point being though, with enough of this and, and while you know people can talk about oh, that's a new technology, like you, know, you don't need it, you got EEG, you got blah, blah, blah. If it's something that can produce new, new digital biomarkers, and actually then there's an, an argument that I can extend way down the line to screening and all these different things of so much potential value that's locked in currently. Um, so where are you guys at now? What are you up to? What are you doing? How do you, how do you spend your days, Caitlin, in Mindspan? Is it is it getting people into the scanners? Is it talking about new models? Is it looking at loads of data and digital biomarkers and looking at the opportunity? Like, What is it? How, how do you spend your time currently? It is all of the above. It is also doing the HR, <laughs> it's doing the admin, it's doing all of the joys of a startup. <laughs> the accounting. Yeah, exactly. Um, but yeah, so we are in an exciting phase. We've been in development for two and a half years uh, it probably took about a, a year, year and a half before we had the automated um, pipeline put into place for the actual analysis of the MEG data and the integration of our cognitive data and the metadata. Because uh, uh, to your point about um, biomarkers, it really does 
like we the app process of our service is actually so important because we do in order to kind of give context to this brain activity it becomes incredibly valuable when you pair that with cognitive function when you pair that with certain metadata like age and all these kind of individual lifestyle profiles that we can start to really um, help people with this objective data as well um, but yeah, so we are now going to, we've actually just announced that we are partnering with Recognition Health here in London. Uh, so they are experts in brain and mental health uh, from, and they're a clinic based here in London. Because we have, as we mentioned at the outset of this, we are not in the business of getting medical advice, clinical advice. We are in the kind of realm of giving people objective data to empower them with uh, this data to go down their own uh, kind of medical journey. And so we acknowledge that um, we want to make that pathway for individuals forward. What can I do with this now as easy as possible? Recognition Health is just such a natural partner for us based in London. They understand the technology, the value of the data. And so we are partnering with them uh, to basically allow our consumers to go forward with a clinical pathway should they want or need one. Um, and so, yeah, we are starting to expand and starting to offer this service. Hopefully we have some some more exciting announcements in the next two months coming up. Um, so I will, yeah, be back to talk about those soon. <laughs> I love it. I, you know, I was, I was going to ask you about um, I was going to ask you about the future and I was going to, you know, we could talk about these like grand things in like 10 years time and like what all these new digital biomarkers are going to do for health. And you, you could down, go down that route. But actually in that answer that you just gave there about where you're at, I, I think actually that's a far more interesting and practical place to land this question or, or indeed you've kind of already answered it, which is like, how how do you go about this in the next couple of years um and what's the plan there because what you've just what you've just said there about partnering with an organization that understands the value that already gets it that already has an ability to help this get to its next phase i think that's more important and i think how you do that will be really interesting is there anything else along those lines that you've got in the pipeline Yes. Yeah. And what, this is one of the core things that we actually always talk about as well, is that we want to be incredibly collaborative. We want to partner with the MEG manufacturers, with the clinicians, with everyone kind of in this brain and mental health space, because the more we're in such the infancy of the brain and mental health space and understanding how the brain actually works, um, and it's becoming more and more important that we do this quickly, given where we're at. And so we want to make sure that we partner with the people to make sure that this care pathway is fully taken care of. And our expertise is the technology and the data and understanding the, uh, the kind of the objective metrics of it. But we want to make sure that we partner with the right entities who um allow this technology to flourish and make sure there's no holes in that care pathway. And whether it's the MEG manufacturers to make sure that the global install base is rapidly growing and is easily accessible by any consumer, whether it's even in the clinical trial space so that we can really start to help give objective metrics uh, in what's actually happening to the brain activity uh, for some of these treatments for kind of uh, these path different pathologies. 
whether it's partnering with these clinicians. We want to make sure that we are as collaborative as possible because in order to give kind of every individual who wants information about their brain access to this technology and to these insights, uh, it's going to take a hugely collaborative approach. Exactly. And there can't be any egos in that either. I think the the open-mindedness required for clinicians, and I say that as one, right? Like I, I say, and, and not that I'm a neurologist and not that I'm suggesting at all what neurologists are going to be like, but I can understand that people don't like change and that's okay and completely reasonable sometimes. But I think the open-mindedness required to, to see what the value is, is important. Um, and uh, by the way, that's not just clinicians, that, that's any group. Um, but to your collaboration point, I, th- I think that is the nice thing about health tech. Let me just say that since being on this side of the fence, it's sort of a, it's sort of a yes if rather than a no because uh, as the kind of default. And I like that. I like that a new technology can come along and instead of you know an initial skepticism, which by the way. An initial skepticism is inbuilt because you don't want anything untested and untried reaching a patient or going anywhere near it because you absolutely care deeply about the safety of the care that you give and the information that you get and therefore the decisions you make on the back of that information. And so, of course, people can be naturally cynical when a new technology comes along. But I, I like the fact that there are collaborators in this. You, know, you talk about clinicians, you talk about all these different people that come together to make this to make this happen. And and you're right, it's a new it's a newish modality. Um, I keep saying new, thirty years old. It's not it's not new, but it's new it's it's newish in the way that we're getting to it now and what we're using it for now. And that collaboration is incredibly important because everybody's got a really interesting approach there as well. Everyone's got an interesting view. Everyone's got interesting knowledge and how it pertains to this and what it could be used for and. Not that you've said it, but my mind does go to the, the the potential for digital biomarkers here. Like that's where my mind goes. And I think that's where my interest is on this when I think about impact and when I think about what this could actually do. Because in a similar way, the quantified self, I was listening to presentations yesterday at Giant Health and um, I think it was Ido and a, a couple of other companies there that are, that, are, that are taking technology that's actually different to this, but technology that's not... Uh, that's normal in remote monitoring now, like blood pressure and this and that, quick blood tests and potassium monitoring is a bit is a bit interesting. But like they're just connecting stuff that's kind of always been around, but they've done it in a really interesting way. And they've gone like, well, let's let's focus it on dialysis patients and let's actually let's let's do that. And then all the insights that they get from all those different feeds, they're then correlating to certain things and going like, oh, okay, well, you might need looking at at this point. And I think that's what's interesting is that taking technologies now and actually contextualizing them to say like, okay, it's cool to build new tech, but the smart people now are going to contextualize this to what's actionable, what's going to change things for people, what's going to bring new value that we've not seen before. And so for me to hear about things like MEG technology, you know, you can get a baseline and then if you've got a concussion, you can track your recovery and then you even mentioned mental health there as well about certain things th- that this can clearly be used for. And, and with it being relatively embryonic in the way that we're looking at it now, all of this is potential. And we don't know exactly where it might go, but all of this is potential. And I like that. I like the thought that there are new technologies. As I said at the start, it, it's not often that we get to talk about a new technology on here. And that's why I get a bit excited about the potential. And it's nice to hear that what you guys are doing is trying to harness that and actually give accessibility to people. That's just that's a, that's a nice a nice component of it. Um, 
I do just wonder though, like, do you see the day? I might as well ask it. Do you see the day? 25 years, 30 years, 50 years where there are digital biomarkers being picked up in MEG and it's, uh, it's making people live longer, live better. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. And that was, that's the genesis of our, our name really as well, is that we see this technology getting to the point where we can help people extend the healthy lifespan of their mind. And it is all part and parcel of identifying these biomarkers to basically uh, identify these issues before they even become a problem. That's ultimately our goal. And we see a world in 25 years where these MEG scanners are in every hospital. They're as ubiquitous as EEG um, and easily accessible. And we see in 25 years the potential for everyone to be having a a MEG scan, getting kind of their own personal brain mapping done every year in order to make sure they are healthy uh, and don't develop any problems. Caitlin, I love it. I think it's, uh, it's really cool. It's really interesting. It's, uh, it's exciting. It's at the start of something really brand new. If people want to learn more about this, either because, heck, they might want to get a scan, which I'm sure they can get done. Um, they might want to do that. They might want to learn more about you, about what Mindspan do. Um, how, what is the best way for them to get in touch and learn more? Yeah, so they can head to our website, Mindspan, M-Y-N-D-S-P-A-N.com. Um, they can register right on our website if they would like to get a scan, either in Toronto, Canada or Birmingham, UK. That's where we're scanning at the moment. Uh, hoping to have more sites soon. And uh, yeah, they can reach out to me as well, Caitlin at Mindspan.com. As I said, we want to be hugely collaborative with what we're doing. So I kind of welcome any any conversation about the space and also just people who are passionate about the area awesome it's been a pleasure thank you for coming on hey everyone thanks for listening and making it all the way to the end of this episode remember to subscribe rate us and leave a review and you can head to the description of this episode to follow me on all of my social media so you don't miss out on any of the latest health tech content